Good morning, church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here at Central City Church, and we are kicking off a new series uh, uh, today on the Psalms, and I'm excited to be with you uh, called When You Can't Find the Words. Now, before we do, though, um, I just got to say something. I know this might offend some people, so my apologies ahead of time, but I just some of you are thinking it already, so I'm just going to name it. There's like nothing more pretentious than people who listen to records. Like, literally, we have every song available in the world in the palm of our hands, and we're like, no, I want to listen to 100-year-old technology. And, uh, and here's the thing, if you're, if you're thinking about buying one, just a couple things you need to know ahead of time. No skip button. I don't know if you knew that. No skip button. And no shuffle button, surprisingly so. It doesn't work like that. Um, uh, no more playlists. And so um, then there's people who listen to records, and they're the worst. They think they're so cool, and they always have a story about where the record came from, and the record player, and they use words like experience, tactile, authentic, slow down, disconnect. It's just the worst. So today I brought my record player with me. I wanted to show you guys here. And uh, I got this a couple of years ago for Christmas. And just to tell you a little bit about the player, um, it's a hand-built in Boston. Um, and uh, it's one of the most affordable players you can get, uh, you know, that still have some high quality. And uh, um, I really like it. it um, it's, I just love the tactile experience that we get. And um, it really helps me slow down and disconnect from my phone. Um, I'm, I'm serious. I really do. And uh, um, it's, a, it's great. I absolutely love having a record player. Now, the, worst, the only thing worse than someone who owns a record player is somebody who's like, uh, here, I want you to hear this song. Have you ever had this experience? I want you to hear this song. Here's what they never mean. They never mean, I'm going to email it to you. They always mean here, right in the middle of whatever you're currently doing, I'm going to pull out my phone, which you won't be able to hear it on, and I'm going to play it. And not only that, I'm going to get really excited about it and make unnecessary eye contact because I want you to be excited about it as well. And at the end of it, what do you ultimately say? Yeah, that was all right. <laughs> so much pressure to like the song. So today I wanted to play for you some songs that I really want you to hear. You know, because the reality is, is, is a lot of times, um, depending on what we like and, and what, what mood we're in, there are songs that we go to. And uh, this, is, this is actually, a whole industry has been built on this. I don't know if this is the next slide, but if you go to Spotify, um, there's, there's a whole playlist built around mood. You can have mood, uh, songs for when you're in the shower, songs for when you're not in the shower, songs for when you're in whatever mood you're in. Now, it's harder with records, but it's still very much possible. And uh, so I have a couple of records I like to go to. One of them is uh, if I'm in just the need of a soul cleanse, you know, just calm down, uh, lay some things out. There's one record and one song in particular. It's by it's Leon Bridges, fant fantastic album if you're familiar with it. There's a song in here um, that I'm going to play for you, and I really want you to like, um, called River. You might recognize this because actually we um, listen to this song. We listen to this song. Huh? We, we do this song in worship. You, you recognize this? This is one of these songs I go to when I'm just like, man, I just need to, I just need to, I just need to, in here just a little bit you, you, oh so good just wait for it you can't ever listen to the song with someone once you listen to it because they're telling you about it while it's happening right here been traveling these wide roads for so long right that's great my heart's been falling we're gonna let that one play I'm not, I'm you now there are other songs that i like to talk about um, you know, sometimes I'm not in the mood. Um, I'm not 
in the mood for something like this. I want to remember, remember that there's injustice in the world, that there's problems, and there's Every things in the world where there's poverty and things. Now, I have an artist like to go through for that. Any guesses? Any guesses? Right here. One of my favorites. Johnny Cash. You know, when I listen to Johnny Cash, this is one of those albums I go to. Every song is about the destitute or the poor or the... The heartbroken to the or good the good punk, and I just absolutely love it. Now sometimes in a I'm white for something fun. Me. me and Finn love to dance, so take me to your river. Song, the album we're dancing to right now, Black Keys. First song especially just kicks it off. The music video is specifically someone dancing, so it's very appropriate. Now other times, just in the mood for something to Take me to your river. Something that's just you know real intelligent. Love it, love it. I don't know what it is for you or what song you like to go to when you're in a particular mood, but music has the, the capacity to take us places. It has the ability to bring us into this really vulnerable state. And uh, this, for the Jews and for the Christians nowadays, um, this is what the, the Psalms have been uh, for them. You see, you need to realize that the book, uh, the book call, that we call the Bible is actually a collection of books. It's a library of books. And right in the middle here is this collection of song sheets uh, known as the Psalms. 150 different songs specifically. Now, Psalms means simply praise, and so it's a collection of praise songs, but they don't all fit nicely into that category. There's 150 of them. In fact, if you were to take the 150 songs right here in the middle in the book of Psalms and you were to lay them out on song sheets, you know, normal font with room for chords, and print them off, you'd be looking at about 300 sheets of paper. So it'd be quite the set list, quite the collection. And while they're all under this big category of psalms, they're, they're not easily falling into that category. If you've ever read the psalms and you know, um, and if, if you haven't, I hope that you do, especially during this series, that you'll notice that there's a bit of variety. In fact, something I do, uh, sometimes I'll go to the psalms and I'll be looking for something calm, something praiseworthy, something beautiful, something like Leon Bridges' song, The River, and I find myself more with the black keys or, or with something that's even more brash or harsh. And it's, it's sometimes surprising, uh, something that, that isn't just praise, but is complaints and politics and war and justice. Because the Psalms, they capture the full breadth of the human experience. It's not just praise and worship. It's, it's about suffering and wisdom and justice and, 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 and pain and war and tragedy. Now, nowadays, Christian radio prides itself in being what? Family-friendly positive and encouraging. It's literally the tagline on almost every Christian radio station. Here's the thing with the Psalms. Not family-friendly, sometimes not even friendly, and usually not, not always very encouraging either. They're complicated, but they're rich with emotion, and, but they're rich with emotion that isn't always what we'd call healthy emotion or even holy emotion. Now, it's hard to break these psalms into different categories, but we're going to, for the sake of this series, most of the psalms, the 150 psalms, not all of them, but many of them fit into specific categories. And while not every song fits into those categories, um, a lot of them pull from the categories. So I want you to consider these categories I'm going to share with you sort of as a playlist based on the mood you're in, uh, a psalm to help you find the words when you can't in that particular season of life. So here are the categories, and they're going to serve as sort of the outline for this series. We're going to talk about each one uh, moving forward, uh, two today, and then the rest of them one at a time moving forward week by week. So the first one is the lament psalms, 
or what I call songs for when you're in need. Now these psalms, and we're going to talk more about these today, but these psalms really capture two things. One, they suggest that God is worth trusting even when life is falling apart. And two, people are really horrible. That's just kind of the basic two themes that you see in the Lament Psalms. We're going to talk about that, so hold on to that. The second one we have is the Thanksgiving Psalms, or songs to listen to when you want to feel thankful. Now, the Psalms, the Thankful Psalms, are actually really similar to the Laments. The only difference between the Thanksgiving Psalms and the Lament Psalms is that the Laments were written uh, before God acts or before God fixes a problem, and the Thanksgiving Psalms are written after. So the Laments, they're crying out to God, God, my life is falling apart, do something. And the Thanksgiving Psalm is like, hey, God, my life was falling apart, thanks for doing something. And so otherwise, they're really similar other than the timing. So lament happens before God acts, thanksgiving happens after God acts. So we're going to talk about lament and thanksgiving together today. The next one uh, we have is the royal songs, uh, psalms. Now these are songs to listen to when you're thinking about the state of the union, the state of the nation. These psalms have to do with the kingdom of Israel. Israel, of course, being a kingdom during the time when a lot of these psalms were written, have uh, this whole collection of patriotic songs who celebrate the kingdom. Now, what you'll find is that these psalms, they're not like our patriotic songs. Our songs tend to celebrate to who we are and, and what we've done and, and what people have done to fight for our freedom. The royal psalms are a little bit more, a lot of times, like a protest march. They want the king and they want the kingdom and those who are in power, they want them to do the right thing. And so they sound a little bit more like Johnny Cash or the entire genre of punk music. Um, than our typical patriotic songs. And we're gonna look at those in a, uh, in a couple weeks. Next, we have the praise songs, or songs to listen to when you wanna praise God. These are the most popular. This is often probably what we think of when we think of the Psalms. They tend to lean very heavy on God and focus on how, God, how great God is. And we'll look at those in a couple of weeks and spend an entire service kind of turning our eyes towards God and celebration. After praise, we have wisdom songs, uh, wisdom psalms. Or songs to listen to when you're seeking understanding. Um, these psalms are similar to the Proverbs. They just help, they talk about wisdom and understanding and what it means to understand the way the world works. And we'll talk about those in a couple weeks. And then finally, we have trust psalms, or what some people call confidence psalms. In fact, they're called confidence psalms, but confidence was too long of a word, so I called it trust. Songs to listen to when you want to trust God. Psalms that aren't praising God as much as stating in very bold ways how the psalmist is going to trust God. These psalms are especially beautiful. Um, one of the most popular psalms of all time. In fact, the only psalm I read in my, my high school English literature book was, uh, was from the Bible. It's one of these psalms. It's a confidence psalm. Psalm 23. Do you know it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. It's beautiful. So we're going we're gonna to look at that one uh, in a couple uh, weeks. We're going to finish with that one, and we're going to look at that psalm in particular. Um, but today, we're going to start with the lament. Now, you might be wondering why we're going to start with lament. Um, I mean, uh, why start in such a dark place? Well, the answer is actually uh, far more practical than you might think. You see, when you graph out the psalms into these different categories, you end up with a graph that looks a little bit like this. You see, most of the psalms that fit into one of these categories, uh, most of them actually fit into the category of the lament. In fact, you looked at this graph, and uh, uh, most songs have to do with how painful this world is in our experience of this world, the lament. Now, I wonder if, if maybe 
does this ever the way your life looks? A whole lot of lament, a little bit of thanks, but not as much lament, as much as you have as lament. So in other words, you are complaining to God far more often than God's acting. It's not that God isn't acting. It's just you have more complaints than you have thanks. And then a little bit of politics thrown in there, which might be influencing your lament. And then a, you know, healthy, a healthy portion of praise. And then not nearly enough wisdom and even less trust. Does your life ever feel that way? If so, I don't know if this is uh, positive or encouraging, but I would say it's biblical. Your life is very, very biblical. So we're going to jump into the Lament Psalms. Before we do, uh, let's, uh, let's pray. God, we come before you, and we ask that as we open up your scriptures and we read countless verses out of this hymn book that we find in, in your Bible, um, that you begin to soften our hearts to hear your words. That, that you would meet us in this space, that you would continue to use scripture and this beautiful and yet at times painful poetry to shape our hearts and our minds. Lord, regardless of what I say, um, I just ask that you'd speak to us individually and as a, as a community. In your name we pray, amen. So I want to start by asking you a series of questions. I want you to be honest. I want you to pause. I want you to be honest. I want you to slow down and disconnect a little bit and be honest for a second. You don't have to answer these out loud. You don't have to write them down. No one has to know what your answers are. Just I want you to reflect. When's the last time you had an honest conversation with God? When's the last time you just got real with God? This, this doesn't include prayer with your kids or prayer at the dinner time or prayer at church or prayer at the hospital, but just on, maybe at the hospital, but just honest and raw, painful, crying out, honest time with God about real stuff. When's the last time? And what was that like? Was it this morning? <laughs> was it last year? Was it never? When's the last time you had an honest conversation with God? Think about that for a second. Second question. When's the last time you hated someone? I mean, you know, just really hated someone. Not just frustrated or annoyed, but someone hurt you so bad and it didn't, uh, and they did it over and over again and you couldn't help but hate them. Hate is a strong word, but that's, that's the question. Or maybe this is the question. Have you ever hated someone? Have you ever been hurt so bad that you hated someone? When's the last time you just found hate in your heart? Now, for some of you, thinking about and reflecting on those two questions, one after the other, is very uncomfortable, isn't it? When's the last time you had an honest conversation with God? And when's the last time you hated someone? You're like, I would rather those conversations be separated. I don't want God to, you know. So this next question might be especially challenging. Have you ever hated someone and had an honest conversation with God about that hate? Have you found this stuff, this dark stuff in your heart, and you went to God laying it out, just bearing your soul before God, trusting that God could heal you and bring justice? When's the last time you hated someone and you had an honest conversation with God? I ask these questions because if you've never been there, if you've never hated someone, or if you've hated someone but you never were honest with God about it, then you might have a very hard time 
relating to the lament psalms. Because that's pretty much what the lament psalms are. And there's a lot of them. I want to look at a couple here. Consider Psalms 4. This is the track one in your update. Um, Psalms 4.1 says, uh, Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. We read that, and I think many of us can relate. There's something real and honest there, and it's a cry of my heart often to God. God, hear me. Answer me. Where are you? I need you. If we were to summarize the lament psalms into one word, it would be, I need you. And because we can relate with these types of parts of the lament, we often glance over or gloss over the other parts. But if you start looking at the laments further, they're more than just honest cries from the heart for God to to hear you. The primary thing that we see the psalms lamenting over is the pain and the anger and the hatred that they have for people. Like Psalm 3, starting with verse 1. He just starts right there, verse 1. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Strike all of my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. I'm like, whoa, am I, I'm, allowed, I'm allowed to pray that kind of stuff? Seriously? My mom never taught me that. Or Psalm 610, all my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly put to shame. Or Psalm 714 and 16, and I have to say this one is especially poetic, and I kind of like it because it's just beautiful in its vindictiveness. It says, whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. It's powerful, right? And violent and vindictive. If you begin to read the laments, you'll see over and over and over again these kinds of cries. Language directed towards people, language that is violent and, and vindictive and angry and filled with hate. And it's not just the laments. We see this kind of violence throughout the Psalms. Consider, consider this really beautiful Thanksgiving Psalm, Psalm 136. It's, it's beautiful and it's powerful. It's actually a really creative Psalm because it's a call and response Psalm. So the, 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 the leader of worship would say a line and then the people would respond. So they go through the whole history of Israel saying these things that God has done and then the people would respond by saying, his love endures forever. You know that, uh, that Chris Tomlin song, his love endures his love endures forever. You know that one? I'm not a singer, but you, you, know, you know that melody? So he, I, can't even, I can't read this psalm without that stupid melody getting in my head. So his love endures forever. <clears throat> Will you sing it with me so I'm not doing it by myself? Yeah. His love endures forever. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's how this call and response goes. We're gonna, so after, after each line telling them the greatness of God, the people would chant, so, so let's try it. Verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. To him who alone does great wonders. Skip down to verse 12. It's a long psalm. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And this is where it gets really fun. And killed mighty kings. Specifically Shina, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. Some of you are like, his love endures forever? Like, 
Anyone else uncomfortable seeing this? It does. That's what his love looks like. Killing people. Destroying nations. Well, not exactly. When we read the Psalms, you need to understand that we're walking into some real uh, deep and, and, and even dark places. We're, we're messing with some muddy water here. Places of hate and places of fear. We're stepping into the psyche of Israel. We're pulling back the curtain to see what's underneath, and that, that can be dangerous and scary at times. You see, we know from both the Old and New Testament that God doesn't want us to hate other people. Leviticus, the book of the law that the Israelites would follow, it says it like this in verse uh, 17, do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone uh, among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Even Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said it like this. He said, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall murder and anyone murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. In other words, if you're angry with someone, it's just as bad as murdering them. That's what he's saying here. Again, he says in verse 43, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So before we go any further, let me just be clear, just so there's no confusion here. We should love our neighbors. And we, should, we shouldn't hold a grudge, and we shouldn't hate people, and we shouldn't hate our enemies. We need to love them and pray for them. We should. We should love our enemies. I hope you hear that. But that doesn't mean we should pretend we don't have enemies. See, Jesus says, love your enemies, which kind of assumes something, doesn't it? It assumes that there are people that there can be people out there to hurt you, to cause you pain and, and to become an enemy of sorts. So yeah, we should love our enemies, but we don't need to pretend we don't have them. In fact, we can't love our enemies unless we first recognize that they are our enemy, that they've hurt us, that they're bringing us pain. We can't effectively love people who tend to be evil or people who tend to cause hurt until we own up to the fact that they have in fact hurt us. And I'm not saying we should act on that hurt, but we need to acknowledge it. And that's what the Psalms demonstrates. They show us what it means to be brutally honest about how you feel, even how you feel about people, especially when your feelings don't seem holy. I recently watched a TED Talk by uh, Susan David. She's a psychologist out of uh, South Africa. When she was a child, she had lost her father and she was hurting from it, as, as any child would who lost their father. Um, but she said that, she, uh, that in a world that values positivity, no one knew how she felt and she didn't think anyone wanted to. And so she did what many of us do in difficult and painful situations. She held it in. Until one day, she was at school, and her writing teacher gave her a blank piece of paper, gave all the students a blank piece of paper, and, and she said, write what you're really feeling, write like no one is going to read it. And for the first time in her life, after the passing of her father, she was able to write honestly and to express honestly. And what was essentially a private journal entry, she was able to write and express her honest feelings. And I think in many ways, this is what the Psalms is for the people of God. 
You see, we tend to put our emotions in the categories, don't we? We tend, we talk about it all the time. We have, there's good emotions and there's bad emotions. So good emotions like happiness and joy and thankfulness, these are the emotions we want and, and that we will encourage other people to have. And then there's other bad emotions like hatred or loneliness or frustration or depression. And, and, and when we have those emotions, we, we're not always sure we want to share them because they're bad emotions. But Susan David, the psychologist, suggests that there are no bad emotions. Emotions don't get to be good or bad. They are just emotions. And they're neutral. They aren't holy. They aren't unholy. They're just honest responses to the world around us. So she says that emotions are data. They tell us about ourselves and about the world we live in. So if you're sad, that says something about you. Why? Why are you sad? Is it because of something you've experienced or something you're experiencing right now? or something that you experienced in your past, or is it because of some chemical imbalance and, and there's need for medication, or is it because it's been winter way too long? <laughs> or maybe you don't know why you're sad, but, but there's likely a reason. And it, sadness itself can be data that can be used to tell us about something, about ourselves and about the world we live in. So she says emotions are data, not directives. They tell us about ourselves and our world, but that doesn't mean we should do what they tell us to do. And this is an important distinction, isn't it? So we're sad, but we don't have to act on that sadness. We don't have to allow the sadness to control us or the anger or the hatred or the frustration. It's their data, emotions are data, not directives. They're descriptive. They describe our experience, but they're not prescriptive. We don't have to follow them as if they're in control of our lives. We don't have to act on them. But what we do need to do is we need to express them. And this, I think, is the best way to understand the Psalms. The Psalms are expressing honest and real emotions, from joy to terror, from praise to fear. And this is data. This is permission to feel the way the psalmist feels. In fact, C.S. Lewis in his book on the Psalms, which is a book I, I highly recommend. I hadn't, didn't even know it exists until we started this series, and I found it really interesting. He, said, he says it like this. He says, uh, and this is kind of wordy, but we'll, we'll, hopefully you can get something out of it. He says, it's monstrously simple-minded to read the cursings in the Psalms with no feeling except one of horror at the uncharity of the poets. So it's, it's just kind of overly simplistic to just be mad at the psalmist for speaking this way. He says, they are indeed devilish. But we must also think of those who made them so. Their hatreds, the psalmist's hatreds, are the reaction to something. He goes on and describes it like this. He says, when you throw a match onto a, a pile of dry sticks, the sticks will naturally catch on fire, naturally. So don't point to the sticks and blame them for catching on fire. Look back and ask yourself the question, who lit the match? And so as you read the Psalms or even just live through your life and you see hatred or fear or what we call unholy emotions and they come into our lives and we see them, I want you to pause and I want you to ask yourself this question about the Psalms or even about yourself. What happened to them to make them hate like this? What kind of injustice had they experienced in order to be so angry or vindictive? When working with people with difficult pasts, um, people who've experienced uh, extreme poverty or homelessness, oftentimes you see anger and hate and uh, people hungry for vengeance. And, and in those times when I'm, I work with a number of people, I have to remind myself that they weren't born into that hate. 
that they were taught it by the way they were treated, oftentimes as children. It's a product of something. It doesn't make it right, especially when people act on it, but it's real, and it's a response to something. So if we learn anything from the Lament Psalms, we learn that God can handle all of your emotions, all of them, not just the good ones. God wants them all, and getting them out is really healthy. But that's not all that we learn from the Lament Psalms. You see, something far more profound is happening in these Psalms, because these Psalms aren't just talking about how horrible people are. They do that a lot, actually. I encourage you to read them. They're really interesting, beautiful sometimes, and painful. But they also talk about how trustworthy God is, and that changes everything about them. You can really see this played out in Psalm 64. So I want to look at this as we kind of wind down. He says, it starts out like most laments. He says, hear, my, hear me, my God, as I voice my complaint. Protect my life from the threat of the enemy. Hide me uh, from the conspiracy of the wicked, from the plots of the evildoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. I mean, it's just beautiful, painful, vindictive poetry. He says, they shoot from ambush at the innocent. They shoot suddenly without fear. They encourage each other in evil plans. They talk about hiding their snares. They say, who will see it? They plot injustice and say, we have devised a perfect plan. Surely the human mind and heart are cunning. In other words, he says, all of these evil people, they're hanging out and they're like plotting and they're coming up with all these really dangerous and terrible ways to hurt people and they're hiding traps for them and all this sort of stuff. And, and he, so he gives us this picture. As he describes his enemies, he's giving us a picture of what makes them different from the psalmist. You see, they're plotting and they're planning. They're coming up with this really specific idea on what it means to, to hurt people, and they're acting it out. Their, their emotions aren't data. Their emotions are directives, and they're, they're living it out person by person and coming up with all of their 100% acting on it. They are taking matters into their own hands. And let me tell you, when people, when we get hurt, the number one temptation is to take matters into our own hands, isn't it? Have you ever gotten angry and your first thought was like, well, I'm not going to worry about that? No. When we get angry, it's like, no, I want to do something to make this right. But look how the psalmist replies, verse 7. But God. I'm not going to read any further. Just hold on to that first two words, but God. The psalmist shifts. Instead of taking matters into his own hands, and you see this every single time in the Lament Psalms, instead of taking matters into his own hands, the psalmist shifts and says, but God. But God. He's still, he's still using that vindictive and violent language if you read the rest of it, but he's shifted ownership. The psalmist, and you'll see this all over the place, never actually plots revenge. The psalmist never actually comes up with a plan for how to hurt people. He never writes down his action steps for how to cause harm. He's actually really, which is really surprising because that's usually our first step, but, but all of his hurt and all of his pain, I mean, they were, the psalmists were living in a war-torn land and they, they had experienced tribal wars and they had experienced famine and they had watched their friends and family likely die because of war. They had experienced trauma. And if you read the Psalms, you're gonna see PTSD just show up all the time. But even with all of their pain, they never act out against their enemies. They never plot, they always shift with a simple, but God, but God. They take all of their anger, all of their frustration, and they choose to trust God. They choose to trust God's action, not theirs. They refuse to take matters into their own hands. They choose to trust that God will make things right. 
Against all odds, the psalmist over and over and over again puts the responsibility back onto God. But I will trust God on this one. No matter all this stuff happened and I'm laying it out, but I'm going to trust God on this one. God, God will take care of this. God will be faithful. God's got this. In fact, one of the most popular or famous laments of all times isn't in the book of Psalms. It's an entire book unto itself. It's appropriately called the book of Lamentations. Um, and it tells of all of these terrible war-torn world that they were living in, where their children were starving and dying, all of this really traumatic stuff. And the people of God were angry and they were hurt, yet even with all that was going on in their life, they were bold enough to say this. They say, I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. One of my favorite songs, one of my favorite hymns, isn't birthed out of a praise psalm. It's birthed out of lament that when everything seems to be falling apart and I'm truly angry, I trust I won't be consumed because God's mercies are new every day. Great is thy faithfulness. I'm going to invite uh, uh, Wes to come up and um, we're going to move into our closing song. As I do, I want to invite you to spend some time thinking about your hurt and your complaints or your anger. Are you willing to trust God with your raw emotions? Are you willing to just lay out whatever it is your experience? Are you willing to trust God enough to be honest with Him? Whatever those emotions are that you're wrestling with in your life. Let's pray. God, God, there are so many times where we're afraid to be honest with you. Give us courage. Remind us of your faithfulness and your love that, that if the psalmist can be as honest as they are, that you, we can certainly be as honest as, uh, as, as possible. Holy Spirit, great comforter, come. Lord, we lift up in the room specifically those who have experienced great trauma those who've been hurt deeply, that when we ask, have you ever hated someone, someone comes to mind right away because of the deep hurt that, that they've caused them. I ask that your, your Holy Spirit, the great comforter, would go into their lives as into mine and provide healing and grace and peace. Lord, you are worth our trust. It's your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to stand